0: The following program was made possible by Ward's lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca.
1: Welcome to the program. Three more and we hit 50. Wild pigs are a thing and not a good thing. We'll hear how the city is hoping to avert this invasive species from invading the Lakes. Beavers, conversely, do belong here, but can your trusted podcast host here live with them? should he a wise not so old former trapper weighs in
2: and i really miss being in the room with the teacher and hearing them talk
1: joe conyer is one of the students late of court the lakes now in post-secondary elsewhere whom we'll hear from in a special report about this roller coaster ride of a school year my name is denny grignel land sharer with beavers and host of a show we call The Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. We are still many months away from our next municipal election, but for people considering making the leap to run as a city councillor, especially if you're running for the first time, October 22nd probably doesn't feel all that far down the road. This really is a unique job with a unique job description. Most of us, let's face it, are not really acquainted with. So what should one expect if they're elected city councillor? What's the gig really like? Pat O'Reilly is certainly qualified to offer an accurate job description. He was first elected to council in 1988, stepped away for a few years, then returned during amalgamation. He will not be running in the next election, however, which means any wisdom he offers here is not a campaign platform. Counselor, thanks for being with us.
2: Thank you, Danny.
1: Hey, before we uh, dig in to this, uh, first of all, thanks for your service. And uh, without getting too political, what led to your decision to not run again?
2: first and foremost, I think uh, uh, what a person needs to do is assess uh, where you are in your own life and what uh, you think the best opportunities are for uh, for new people to get into the, uh, to become a counselor. And I think uh, it's important to have uh, new people with new ideas and younger people as well. So I think uh, it's uh, that was my, uh, my decision.
1: Hmm, well spoken like a true elder statesman. Okay, for anyone considering running then uh, now, especially people who've never done it before, the people who will be the rookies, what would you advise them about the campaign process, what they should be, what they should expect before they're even guaranteed the job?
2: Right now, you should probably look at some of our uh, ongoing council meetings just to find out exactly, first of all, uh, what the issues are. Uh, because, I mean, uh, for some of you, it's a new job. If you haven't been involved in municipal politics, it's a, there's a vast array of issues. So I think uh, just uh, looking at uh, some of the minutes of the meetings and maybe uh, watching a couple of the uh, council meetings, some can be more boring than others, but, uh, but I think it would certainly give a person a good idea what the issues are and challenges are in front of you.
1: What was your biggest surprise about the job when you started something that maybe you had to learn to adjust to that you didn't expect?
2: Well, yeah, certainly I think um, uh, I was born, my dad was a previous uh, counselor for the township of Ops, so we were always kind of a political family. So we, uh, we knew, kind of had an idea what, the, what the, a lot of the issues were. Uh, but I think going from uh, the previous county council to the new amalgamated municipality, certainly the the challenges uh, are greater because you have so many more people to represent and uh, you're, uh, you are a true representative of all the, of all the constituents. Of the city of Cortha Lakes. For sure, uh, you're you're on call. We want a person would say seven days a week. I, I think it, every councillor was different. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I was uh, kind of one of those people that uh, felt as though, especially with the new amalgamated uh, council, that uh, you know we really have to be councillors for the whole uh, for the whole city. And that's not to say that the previous uh, county councillors weren't councillors for the whole for the whole city. But uh, I, I, I would go to many uh, many events or functions or uh, or fundraisers in uh, right from Kinmount to Norland to Seagrave to Little Britain to Beth. To Janaville, to Mimi, to Bob Cajun. and so uh, I was one of those councillors that uh, felt as though that was my job, and uh, I was probably more uh, retired than some of the other councillors, or more had a a sense of that was uh, the the job of the council of the councillor of the day. Um, But many of the uh, some of the councillors that are elected say have other full-time jobs, and I can appreciate that because we're we're looking for younger people to uh, to get into politics as well, and it's hard for younger people to get in uh, without having another job. So I think that is uh, was uh, is certainly one of the challenges is trying to cover the whole municipality.
1: Was the compensation for the for the kilometers you put on your vehicle commensurate with with the amount of driving you're actually doing?
2: Oh, certainly. Yeah, it's it's hard to. Uh, I said I I'm I'm probably not a typical counselor in that sense. So like most of the counselors uh, certainly do support their other counselors through meetings, but I, I don't know that I would have a. And actually, I guess I'd probably do have a number, but I don't have the exact number with me, Denny. But uh, no, it's certainly uh, certainly as many as many miles as they say, and many of them are uh, are on weekends where especially we are going to special events, whether it's uh, fall fairs, whether it's a uh, fundraiser, whether it's a remembrance day. Or whether it's uh, you know many other the eventual you know, Canada Day events, so uh, which happen in in other the small municipalities as well. I think I probably put more on than most people, so I wouldn't be a good average person. But well, <laughs> but I,
1: I I think it's safe to say that whoever gets this job should probably be prepared for a few extra oil changes. More yeah, for than sure, for ready, sure. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about what you touched on, the the idea that, that, you know, some counsellors will have other full-time endeavours, whether they're, uh, you know, they have a full-time job or or they run their own business or or they're they're farmers. What would you tell them in in creating that balance where they can maybe still do that, but also take on the, the responsibilities of counselor? What should they be prepared for?
2: It's, it's a busier job than it looks like from the outside, and uh, I think that there's a lot just because because there's a number of committees uh, that you are responsible for sitting on.
1: If you do have that full-time business or that full-time job, yeah. uh, should they be prepared, I guess, to, to maybe wind that down a little bit to allow more time to be a counselor.
2: Or have an agreement with your, uh, you know, if uh, if you work for an organization or be, knowing, telling the boss you're going in that you're going to have uh, day meetings. We had discussions about evening meetings as well as day meetings, and uh, we have had some evening meetings, but by and large, it seemed like the majority of the, there wasn't that many more people participated in from the public in the evening meetings, and there wasn't the day meetings. And we have such a vast area for people to travel. We're not just a small, uh, like, uh, central urban center, so. I said, when you go from uh, Seabright to, to Pawnee Pool, I mean, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of time for people uh, to have meetings uh, in the evening till 10 or 11 or 12 o'clock. So mm-hmm. it seems to be the majority of the, the councillors of the day uh, certainly want the day meetings mm-hmm. and make time available for them.
1: What can you say about how, how you have to deal with those constituents that you fundamentally don't agree with, but you still have to exercise a certain decorum how do you manage that? I think
2: uh, I, I think you have to be open and honest with people. I think uh, we have some very you know you have issues that come up from time to time. Amalgamation was uh, probably the greatest issue in our time. Very divisive, uh, yeah for un- undoubtedly and you know and whatever there, there certainly were the pros and cons of amalgamation and the people to this day um you know it'll be a generation thing to uh to get over the amalgamation but i think the big thing is you have to go and you have to make it work uh, you go and you represent the people you represent you uh uh, you fight the fight for what you think is right. But ultimately, there are some decisions that come down um, that probably uh, aren't the decisions that you would have preferred. So I think what you really have to do is uh, you have to respect the decision of council and you have to uh, move on and uh, and try and make it work the, the best you can.
1: Was it tough to keep your cool at times? If oh, oh,
2: oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. sometimes the decisions get very controversial, very heated and whatever. And, uh, and certainly... Uh, and people are are passionate about uh about what they believe in uh, and about the uh and, and about the decision that they're discussing. And uh, certainly uh certainly I, I think that uh, some people uh, you know certainly are more passionate than others, but uh we all have our strong beliefs and uh, but I think it's really important that once a decision is made by council um, that you uh, you do move on in as best you can and uh, and try and make it uh, work the best uh, best way possible. Politics is like uh, other people going into new jobs. It isn't it isn't really what they thought it was, and I think that some people find that uh, politics as uh, like like other new jobs isn't uh, it, it's certainly more complex. So I think that uh, you know it isn't really politics isn't for everybody. But if you don't, but if you don't try it and you don't get involved, you'll never know. And you've got to be prepared to be fairly uh, patient and fairly thick-skinned because there's certainly there's some uh, not everybody's going to agree with your decisions, and you certainly respect that and and expect that. But I think it's uh, it's very, uh, it's it's not for everyone. And after one term, sometimes people feel as though it's not the thing they want to continue to pursue.
1: Finally, uh, counselor, the best part of the job, something that may compel the right person to run and, and maybe something that you'll miss.
2: I found it very uh, a very rewarding career, and I would certainly uh, encourage and be happy to talk to people that are interested in, in getting into politics. Because uh, for myself, it's been and I'm and I'm going to miss the I'm uh, going to miss the uh, the issues, and I'm going to miss the people. I think uh, from my own perspective, I'll still be involved in uh, in the community and in many ways, and uh, and hopefully can uh, contribute in some small way.
1: Councillor, thank you so much for
2: this. Well, thank you, Denny, uh for the uh, for your time. My name is Carissa Ward from Ward's Lawyers in Lindsay, your official sponsor of the Advocate podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes.
1: You don't have to be a naturalist or a biologist or a hunter or a fisher to have even a cursory understanding of what an invasive species is. It's an animal or an insect that enters an ecosystem like a lake or a river or a forest when it shouldn't. And it sticks around, upsetting the natural balance of that ecosystem. In fact, we discussed cormorants in a previous episode and how it was being dealt with. But when most people think of invasive species, pigs are not the first animal that come to mind. But invasive pigs are indeed a real problem. Durham Region recently tracked and euthanized about a dozen of them. Kelly Maloney is the Economic Development Officer for Agriculture with the City of Corth Lakes. She is monitoring this problem closely and recently made a presentation to the City's Committee of the Whole. Kelly, thanks for coming on the program.
3: No, thanks for having me.
1: Okay, how many reports have we had here in Corth Lakes uh, up to this point of, of wild pigs?
3: Well, this is actually an issue that is being monitored by the province of Ontario. And so uh, we're taking their lead and, and following on the identification of uh, a threat of wild pigs actually across the whole province. So uh, they, they do tell me that there have been sightings within Kawartha Lakes. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're, they're keeping an eye on where those sightings have been. It is something that uh, we want to get out ahead of. Because uh, what we can do now uh, is uh, quite a bit simpler and less costly than if there is a wild pop- population established in Kawartha Lakes or anywhere in Ontario, really.
1: I mentioned in my introduction the, the idea of what we, most of us think of when it comes to invasive species. In fact, a couple of years ago, I remember finding a possum in my barn. But most people, they really don't think of, of, of pigs or wild boar in Canada. So what can you tell us about the invasive species? Where they originated and, and how they're finding their way into our wilds
3: right so all pigs go back to that uh, eurasian wild boar in theory Uh, uh, some pigs uh, were domesticated you know thousands of years ago and uh, then uh, pigs were brought to north america both domestic and the eurasian wild boar and they were farmed. Uh, we have a very small number of Eurasian wild boar actually farmed in Ontario, uh, but uh, in any case, uh, any farmer of livestock knows if you have farmed livestock, there is a chance for them to escape.
1: Well, they and root. So... They are. They're very. I, I I know this from having raised pigs in a barn. They're uh, they're crafty. Like if they want out, they're gonna find they're gonna find a way.
3: That's right, and. The Eurasian wild boar is an even more crafty animal than our domestic pig, although both can do significant damage and it is really challenging to keep them in 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 some cases. Uh, But we also uh, can deal with the issue of uh, pigs as pets and pets. as we find, sometimes are quite popular when they first uh, come into the home, but they can become unpopular. And in some cases, rather than rehoming those pets, uh, some people will just let them go in the wild.
1: Are they crossbreeding, the, the, whatever pigs are out there? Do they kind of mate and then create this completely different breed?
3: They can become, the uh, hybrids are developed uh, certainly from between the domestic pig and the wild boar or the pot potbelly pig.
1: What well, can you tell us about their adaptability? Because we're talking about an animal that, you know, may have been raised uh, in captivity or at least in uh, on a farm where they are fed quite regularly and now they're outside.
3: Well, firstly, I do have to say I'm not a pig expert. Um, all of this information I am actually taking from what the uh, province has been able to provide on, on their website but in fact, um, any type of pig apparently can survive in our northern climates. And and we've seen that where the uh, the wild pigs have been moving northward in, in North America. It's typically been something we've seen more so in the southern United States. But they've been moving northward and have become established in the western prairies. And we know it's quite a bit colder there than than even here in Ontario.
1: The little research that I did uh, says that they can travel a couple hundred kilometers in, in, in about six months. It sounds like it's inevitable. They're going to be here at some point. So why should we be concerned? Like, what what threat do they pose to our ecosystem?
3: Some of the damage that you would see quite typically would be uh, rooting behavior, wallowing. Um, they uh, prey upon the um, natural wildlife. Uh, they eat the native plants. So they're competing with our natural wildlife and and in uh, our ecosystem out there doing damage. They dig with their snouts and they eat the roots and tubers and worms and bugs and whatnot. So that can have impact on our natural environment, but also our crops that we grow. As you know, our area is primarily agric- agricultural here in Corth Lakes, but across Ontario as well. Most of our land is for the purpose of growing crops. And those are businesses, that uh, those are people's livelihoods. It can even be damaged to pasture land. But then there's also the disease uh, spread uh, concern. They can carry diseases that can spread to our livestock. They also can have a physical threat uh, to our pets and and as well to people.
1: You know during the presentation to council uh, that you made councilor Pat Dunn wondered about a hunt for them which on the surface sounds like a, a viable solution or at least part of the solution but I I remember you pointing out that that really isn't a viable option can you elaborate on why that is
3: Basically the hunting pressure can train the the wild pigs to a different behavior they can quite quickly understand human pressure and trying to eradicate them. Uh, So, you know, they spread out, they leave the area or they become nocturnal and uh that's one of the you know a domestic pig is not necessarily not nocturnal in in a a livestock situation but they in the wild will become nocturnal when they realize that human pressure is a lot less at night and then it becomes even more difficult uh to manage or control them
1: so you shoot one pig and the others scurry away and that just uh exacerbates the problem in other words
3: right they become educated that wasn't a very fun experience and uh better get out of here i suppose (laughs)
1: uh okay so what are the options that we have right now to to deal with this
3: firstly we need everyone to be aware of the potential threat what damage could wild pigs do Um, it's possible that it can happen here in ontario and there is weekly reported sightings the need for the public to be reporting those sightings. Then the province is in the, the, uh, the midst of a pilot project, which involves actually following up on those sightings. They're gonna go to those that have reported, identify where they are, uh, put, potentially be monitoring with cameras and whatnot to see what it is. Is it an, an individual uh, animal that has escaped and you know maybe there's a, a local owner that would they can they can uh, get that animal reunited with. Um, if it is truly a wild animal and um, or a, a larger group, then they have the ability to potentially capture uh, those animals.
1: Thanks very much for this, Kelly.
3: It's been great being with you today. Thanks, Denise. To
1: City Council is scheduled to reconvene January 25th to further discuss the issue of the threat of invasive wild pigs in Kawartha Lakes. If you should witness one in our midst, here's what you do. Email wildpigs@ontario.ca. at ontario.ca. You can also get more information on the subject at ontario.ca and type wild pigs" in the search bar. local media. That's us, the Advocate Podcast, which is part of the Advocate Online in the Advocate Magazine. In the January issue, read Molly McHaggart's feature on our city's intercity transit challenges. Pick up a copy across Kawartha Lakes, including the Foodland in Omimi and the Valencia General Store. And if you like our program, can you spare a fella a helping hand? Not with money, but by subscribing for free on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Share our Facebook page and tell your friends about us. More downloads and more streams means more stories from and about our community for many, many years to come. Someone will introduce you to not just his music, but with conversation in an upcoming episode. This is Christopher Sweetman from his very first album, Noise and Signal, with Sultana. The
0: boilers exploded at two in the morning The steam and the shrapnel and the fire on the boarding. Yeah. Two thousand souls on a riverboat. Two thousand souls on a riverboat. Kicking of the vicious Mississippi My wife and kid in Cairo are gonna have to miss me Two thousand souls on a riverboat Two thousand souls on a riverboat The mansion, amid John Wilkes Booth and the Lincoln assassination, two thousand souls on a riverboat. Two thousand souls on a riverboat.
1: Song called Sultana from Christopher Sweetman's first album called Noise and Signal. Look for my chat with Christopher in an upcoming episode. The Advocate Podcast Stories from Corth Lakes is brought to you by Ward's Lawyers, our exclusive sponsor since day one. They are the reasons I don't have to prattle on about a mattress in a box or cooking knives or some other product I probably don't believe in. Conversely, I speak to the quality and care of the work at Ward's Lawyers. I've employed them and can fully endorse their services, which are many. Find them at wardlegal.ca. Coming up, it's Deja School all over again.
4: I think
5: overall, I just felt I owed it to myself to, to go out to have some new experiences. I took a gap year before going to university, so I was starting a year late. I gave it a lot of thought, and if I wanted to go and learn, when I, I realized I wanted to go and have that university experience, I realized that, one
1: day. that was Jonah, same last name as me, from about a year ago in episode 23 when he was home from Carleton University for about a week. In that episode, he was describing what living on campus was like while attending classes, not in an actual classroom, but strictly online from your residence room. Well, university life a year later is not back to normal. In fact, it's now eerily similar to this time last year again. Jonah joins me now, making the long trip up from downstairs. Hey, Jonah! Thanks for coming up.
5: Hey, yeah, no problem. Uh, the traffic was pretty easy today. I'm <laughs> glad to be here again.
1: You managed to dodge past the dog. Okay, you're still here, extending your Christmas break, and we're into uh, you know the, the first half of January, largely because it's deja vu all over again for you. Classes uh, back to being fully online, so you're in no hurry to get back to another city, Ottawa, that's also shut down. So uh, what's that like for you right now? I got to ask.
5: Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously it's, it's really disappointing, you know, in our first semester, we'd had some classes online. I, uh, and I had two classes that were in person, which was already two more than I had the year before. it felt like a step up from what we had in the past. Um, and, and we'd been being told that things were going to get better, that things are on the upswing and just in the blink of an eye, all of that was gone. So that was really disappointing for us to hear that we might be moving back to an online format.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a real roller coaster. So negotiating all of this, you know, the online, then not online, and the shutdowns and the easing of shutdowns, it has to be a challenge not to mention, well, just a just a pain. For all post-secondary students, I'm guessing.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I can speak for myself, but uh, frankly, it's been different for students all across the country, depending on where you were at school, because different provinces have different sets of rules on and off campus. And I'm hearing from some former classmates I went to high school with here in Lindsay.
1: Okay, what have they uh, What are they been telling you?
5: Here's Charlie Teefy. She's in her third year at University of PEI. This is what her first half of the school year was like. So when I first got out here in August, there was a there was no mask mandate. All of the bars and everything was open. So like it was like full functioning. No one was wearing masks. We were doing all of our NSO activities the same as we did first year. So that was definitely like a surprise coming from Ontario.
1: And I'm guessing for Charlie, PEI is feeling uh, quite a bit like Ontario
5: right now for. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of places are and you know, Part of the real frustration of being a post-secondary student right now is that even if you're in a situation, even if you were in a situation like Charlie's where things were relatively good compared to where you came from, it's just having to adjust in the uncertainty that even if you're in a good situation, like I said before, the blink of an eye, it can all be gone. It can all be moved back online. And really, we're all dealing with it no matter where we are in the country. It's kind of fleeting, isn't it? Like, it's good now, but for how long? Absolutely. And you don't know because no matter how good things get, you never know how long it's going to last for. Anyway, here's Thomas Cosseran and we were uh, actually at uh, Leslie Frost together and then at Weldon. And he spoke to me from the University of Calgary, where he's studying geomatics engineering.
4: A lot of it's just hearsay,
1: hearing it from different people. But I feel like I've heard like every possible combination for like course delivery next semester. I've heard all in person, no in person, a mix, labs only in person. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, but I'm staying optimistic here.
5: But did you did you ever find you just kind of lost your optimism whenever they were announcing another reopening? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. And there's that uncertainty again, you can tell. And that's something I absolutely relate to. And you can tell that even though Thomas says he's keeping a positive outlook, he still gets a bit worn down.
1: I don't know how you can't not get worn down. Imagine watching a screen instead of being in a room with actual other human beings. It's got to take a toll.
5: For sure. It's a huge adjustment, and it can be a real strain on your mental health, especially as the weather gets colder and things just start to seem a little bit darker and bleak general. and less sunshine all absolutely stuff, yeah. absolutely yeah. this time of year it's a huge challenge and you know one thing that i really admire is that there are some students who do see some advantage here and there with online learning i know there are there are things i try to look on the bright side when it comes to them you know it's it's certainly not all bad for example here's joe conyer she's in her first year at the university of ottawa
2: i do appreciate kind of learning from like my room in that I don't have to race over to lecture halls like every day. Also, if I get busy or something, I can watch the lectures at different points, but they're also kind of not good in the sense that I really miss being in the room with the teacher and hearing them talk and stuff. Concentration's a big issue for me because I don't know what it is about learning on like a Zoom lecture, but um, it's very easy for me to zone out and just like stare
5: at the window. I absolutely relate to what Joe said about staring out the window. Is that right? I think that's something that all of us can relate to, frankly, in that position.
1: It's almost like a different screen. At least it's something you're looking through a piece of glass or something, but looking at something different. Or that it's
5: not a screen. You just, you want to avert your eyes from looking at a computer screen, even for a couple of seconds. Yeah, But but you're
1: right. There was kind of a balance there, you know, where she's trying to, you know, find some good in it. But at some point it's like, (sighs) <sighs> I'm kind of tired of this whole thing. Exactly.
5: And, you know, for me, I try to look at the advantages like, hey, I can watch this any time of the day I want to. I can hit my space bar, pause it, and go get a cup of coffee in the middle if I want to. I couldn't do that in a lecture hall. But, um, you know, it's also looking at a screen for a large part of your day, and you can't ignore the impact that that has on your mental health
1: and your well-being in general, I think. Mm-hmm. How are they doing? How are they just managing right now?
5: Well, short answer is not great. Uh, as we've heard from a couple of people here it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride since the beginning of the pandemic we think things are opening up they start to shut down again we feel like we're hearing a lot of optimism from different places and then just in an instant we realize that frankly none of it was true and that we're going back to the old ways that we weren't very happy with Mm -hmm. but also i think Something that hasn't been talked about enough with university students is sometimes the stigma around that demographic from locals in the
1: places where they're going to university. Right, because not everybody goes to university in their hometown. Like in Lindsay, for instance, we don't have a university here, so the closest they're going to go is Peterborough, and that's not that far. But I I guess you're right. I mean, they're not only you're not only having to deal with all of this, but now you're in a completely new town, and you're come from away in many ways. Absolutely, and you know, two of the people I talked to here
5: went from Lindsay to a different province so you know they're getting on a plane they're crossing the border into a different province I know that Charlie Teefy certainly felt she ran into challenges with stigma when she got to PEI now that the COVID restrictions are back in place you kind of definitely there's a different side of Islanders that I've seen from first year like first year everyone was super welcoming and like they still are don't get me wrong about that But there's definitely kind of a shift, especially on social media, about people being mad that university students brought back COVID, when in reality, we
1: didn't. So you're away from home, and you're in a completely different environment in university, and sometimes you have the locals giving you a hard time, even if it's just subtly or through social media. That's a lot to deal with. It's
5: got to be tough on top of everything else that students are already dealing with right now. Yeah. Thanks for this, Jonah. Hey, thank you. I'm glad to be here.
3: Hi, I'm Nicole Mitchell, and I'm from Fenland Falls. And you're listening to The Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes.
1: When Nancy and I first moved to our property about nine years ago, we were enamored, yeah enamored, that's fair, with the eight or nine beavers in our back pond. Smooth swimmers, unfazed by ducks waddling past them, industrious, independent, funny, and yes, busy. And that slap, that that slap. So, so cool. Sure, there are the occasional downed trees nearby, which they use to construct their lodge and build up their food stores. Nothing too overwhelming. But then, a few weeks ago, while snowshoeing our trails, a good few hundred meters from that pond, I noticed many trees down, many large trees, more than I'd ever seen. And I wonder, is this a problem? Should I be looking at not having beavers here, or at least not this many?
4: You'll see that they'll really dedicate a lot of time. Sometimes some really big trees, big poplar, get about half or three quarters of the way through and then move on to something else.
1: So I do what I usually do in these situations. I first get a bit rattled, then take a deep breath, and I seek better judgment. Mark Robbins is a hunter and a former full-time trapper.
4: I think that a big part of it is the tree might get hung up, it simply doesn't fall for them.
1: I like Mark. He's like that sensible big brother. Never rash, always calm and measured, and when it comes to all things genus Castor, wise. I followed him and listened and
4: learned. Only after the small uh, uh, high story branches of small twigs and small branches, the big stem of the tree is no use to them at all. So if it hangs up in another tree, they just move on to another, usually a poplar or birch. Um, so they just have to cut the whole tree down to get at the smaller branches, which they cut off and drag into the water, into the, into the marsh.
1: Wow, okay. Well, I'm going to take you out to the yeah. buffet where yeah, they, the that bu- they created out <laughs> right
4: there. So, probably the first thing that really attracts them here is the fact that you have early growth poplar so beaver they're a poplar eating animal so poplar and birch are their primary species that they cut for food what you have most of your marsh here are are alders and a few few elms and other hardwood species not very interesting to them unless there's nothing else around so what you have is a really nice stand of young poplar easy to cut they don't mind dragging the branches a couple hundred yards. It's dangerous for them. There's Why is it of, dangerous? Well, because as we said earlier on, coyotes down here eat a lot of, uh, catch a lot of beaver. When, they, when you see a beaver pond uh, during open water, you'll see these little white sticks floating around because they don't eat the wood. They don't eat the stick. They've peeled it like a corn, a cob, a cob, a cob of corn. And they've peeled the bark off it, and the stick is just, they let it float.
1: And this would have been done all in the fall, like before the winter? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when I go to my pond and I see that, that dam protruding above the ice, yeah. is that
4: their food store where they've just taken mm-hmm. a lot of this and they're packing it in? Or? I, you're probably talking about the house. So the house is uh, made of mud and some of the larger wood they'll pile in there, sticks and mud. And make that pond they can actually chew things underwater without getting water into their lungs or into their system. Their, their cheeks actually fold behind their teeth, their front teeth. They can go out there and chew twigs and branches from their feed bed swim back into the house get up onto the platform in the house in the dry dry land area and then actually peel off eat eat off that that um the bark they're one of the very interesting animals in that they cache their winter supply of food everything they're going to eat through the winter most everything they're going to eat in the winter they have to cut in the fall and and put in this feed bed they'll go out and forage if you get a, a warm late winter Uh, day or or night you'll see where the beaver will come out on top of the ice and maybe cut a branch or two but that's unusual and it's late in the season when their feed bed has become quite stale Um, for the most part they're eating that feed bed that they put in there usually September, October, maybe into November before you get ice and if, if they can't get enough food in they can starve there's really not much opportunity for them to get out and forage other places so the feed bed has to be there they're the most fascinating animal to me. They're they're so adapted to the habitat, but they're landscape changers. Most animals are not. Most animals can live on the surface of the land, but a beaver builds a dam, builds a house, digs channels. Um, they just change landscape in so many very visible ways. So they're quite a fascinating animal. Really, really neat. And they do without
1: municipal uh, no approvals, recommendation, approvals, yeah, no, no plan.
4: When you see them in ponds where they're cutting pines and cedars and spruce, you look around, you won't see any poplar or birch left. That beaver, if you were to trap them there, you'd find them in a very poor body condition, almost a starving condition. I don't think they get the same kind of nutrient value from them. So uh, poplar is it. Poplar and birch are the king and queen of, of beaver feed.
1: When I look at this one here, this is probably, you know, six, seven inches in diameter. well about six inches in yeah. diameter. Yeah. But I don't see the rest of the tree. I'm just looking at the stump. So what does that mean? Would they have dragged they, the whole thing back? They would have cut
4: it up. They oh. they wouldn't they wouldn't have they can't physically can't drag the whole tree away so it gets into the obstruction of the swamp here but also it's too heavy for them
1: so they cut it in chunks so it's manageable yeah
4: they're cutting small branches and, and pieces off it yeah
1: if i had a satellite image might i be able to see like a half dozen beavers just in, in a line each grabbing a, pulling a
4: uh, i don't think it's that it. cooperative no. I, I think they're fairly solitary sort of workers but uh yeah they'll be working away in here in a, as a family unit for sure huh yeah cool
1: Is it possible in that, uh, yeah. that that in the
4: bush here they've created yeah. their own little
1: yeah. Yeah. new pond?
4: Yeah, uh, either a new pond or uh, a bunch of a network of channels that will lead them to where their house is. So if you want to, we can walk through yeah, here and like see what i we to see,
1: see, yeah. like, Okay, when I'm looking here, we noticed this yesterday seems like there are pathways into the bush there.
4: Yep, yep. So we'll have a look at those. But here's another example of them working on the uh, just the bark. They've had a little feed even though they've been chewing here. They've also been feeding a little bit on this on this uh, uh, trunk of, of the poplar tree, chewing a bit off. And you can see the size of the teeth there. They're quite, an, quite a neat animal. In this particular area, you can see there's some older stumps, some grey-weathered stumps here. They've been working away in this area probably for th- two, three, four years already. You may just have uh, a bit of a local population boom. You might have uh, a parent set with uh, young of the year plus last year's kits are still around. Young beavers stay in the house for a year and a half before they, they are kicked out. So it looks like by the amount of work that's done here, you have a pretty good population of beaver. But they will eventually move on. Once once they deplete uh, the the food source. Although you have a a large property here, you don't have that much that I would say is good beaver uh, feed. I can see a couple of birches, there's still some standing poplars, but for the most part it's alder and hardwood. And that's kind of the low food on the priority rung for them. They'll move on to find more, uh, better habitat.
1: So they're here because the food's okay, but Absolutely. as soon as they find food that's better, they're going to hightail it out You got water, you got
4: food in their hat. If you had willows in here, uh, they'd be crazy about willow. Willow's like a candy to beaver, they'll chew it up right away. And you have some dogwoods, you can see your red osier dogwood here, they'll nip a bit of that off.
1: If you were to guess, uh, and nothing I can hold you to or we can even prove, how many beaver... <laughs> would you think have uh, did that work there with what appears to be about 15 or 20 trees yeah.
4: so it's, that's a really hard thing to to estimate uh, i i've been a trapper for a good portion par- of my, my life trapped a lot of beaver and it's not unusual to take four or five adult beaver out of a house usually you have very large beavers which would be the the dominant breeding pair then you'll have yearlings there which are still a good size then you might have three or four of them and then you may have some kits as well all in one house so you might have five six seven eight animals in one beaver house
1: doing all what we just saw doing all that work doing what beavers do yeah When I first saw this, uh, I was uh, taken aback and overwhelmed. It just seemed like devastation to me when I looked at all of these poplars down. Mm. I have not seen this in, in years. What was your reaction when you see this?
4: Uh, Just typical. Just typical beaver activity where you have a decent population. They'll get in here, and it looks messy to us, but uh, it's just what they do by instinct. They're after the poplar. There's a nice stand, nice and close to the water, so... Just part of what happens here. Yeah.
1: Should I be concerned? I guess I'm, if I'm thinking selfishly, is this, I, I've always been of the mind of well, let's just coexist and figure it out. And yeah. I've been able to do that for years, but now I'm I'm almost wondering, is it now a problem? Should I work on culling the beaver, or is this just not a big deal?
4: <laughs> the answer to that is it depends. Depends what you, what your objectives are. Is the like the beaver just doing what a beaver does? If you are a farmer or or something like that, having that excess water. It's going to flood your fields, flood out your roads, wash out your roads. If you're a duck hunter, it's, it's mecca. you have created duck created duck habitat for you. Uh, it's a water sink, so it's about water table management. It's all sorts of things. Depends. From an
1: ecological standpoint, though, this is not a bad thing. For, it's not like an, you're going to raise the, the bush.
4: For an ecological standpoint, it's part of a natural process. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. It depends, you know, humans have, have needs that they want. They want to grow timber. Well, if you're flooding out your timber and your trees are dying, that's costing you money. Uh, so it all depends on your objectives. Is it bad? Poplars are early succession trees. They're going to regrow quick. and In, in 10 years, you won't even notice this has happened.
1: Seeing it as a, more of an optimist, these are trees that were encroaching on this, this field, which is plowed. Yeah. Uh, there was a part of me that thought, hey, I think they just took some of the work away from me. I don't have to come out. Is that, is, is that a fair way to think about it?
4: Or? Well, I'm not a farmer. I expect there's a whole lot of brushing to be done here and a fair bit of cutting but and they hauling. They knocked these trees they down. They knocked me. them down, but they'll grow back in. Like I say, it's early succession. Poplar, one of the first trees to become established in a, in a clearing area. So they'll, they'll pop up pretty quick here.
1: Okay, so there's no environmental disaster taking place not They're not at all. overpopulating, not at all. really. I'm not, I'm not in danger of being overrun by beaver.
4: No, what'll happen is beaver uh, pass through areas or populate areas in a cyclic fashion and it's largely dependent on food supply and as you can see they'll quite quickly eat out that knock down and take away that food supply then they'll move further downstream or upstream establish another colony where there's food nearby and good water and they'll kind of eat themselves out of house and home there and then move once again and in you know in in 5 or 10 years you'll have an active beaver colony here again because the poplars have come back up.
1: okay so this is not something i'm going to see year in and year out this kind of uh,
4: this kind of the, they won't move on in a single year usually be 3 or 4 years before they kind of knock down the available feed for them uh, it could be quicker too well, i guess time will tell
1: Wow, that was one busy show, right? Lots going on. Yeah, the people who helped put it together were as busy as, uh, as busy as, oh, it'll come to me. Until then, let me thank them. Hunter and former full-time trapper and all around wise and easygoing guy, Mark Robbins, for walking my property and putting my mind at ease. Jonah Grignot for putting together that special report on how post-secondary students are dealing with a deja vu school year. Christopher Sweetman for providing some music. We'll feature Christopher in an upcoming episode. Gerald Van Halteren for writing and performing our theme and musical bridges. And of course, the reason this show exists. Ward's Lawyers. You need a lawyer? Well, they got you covered with a team that can meet all your legal needs. Wardlegal.ca. That's where to start. The Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes, is written and produced and hosted by me, Denis Grignon. Wear Your Mask... Get your shot or your booster. Trust the many, many people who know way, way more about science stuff and how it evolves than you or I do. We're back in two weeks.
4: Quite a neat animal.
1: And it almost seems like they started to chew through it and then didn't realize that there was another branch just underneath it and that kind of impeded it? Maybe,
4: who knows what a beaver thinks, but that's possible. (laughs)